Dr. Stu's podcast, hosted by Dr. Stuart Fishbein. I'm Brian Whitman. Dr. Stu is a physician, an author, a speaker, a father, a blogger. And oh yeah, he's my friend too. Dr. Stu's podcast is available at drstuespodcast.com. Check it out on iTunes, of course. If you want to email Dr. Stu, ask Stu at gmail.com is the email address. It's his first podcast and he comes with a mission. And I love guys who come to podcast with a mission, with a passion and stuff to talk to talk about. You've been a doctor in obstetrics, OBGYN for how many years? You're a young dude. Uh, near, 30, near 30 years, Brian. What's uh, By the way, who are you? Oh, I'm Brian Whitman. Thank <laughs> you for asking. I'm a uh, radio host and uh, a friend of Dr. Stu's. And uh, you can hear me on the radio around Los Angeles. And I've been doing this. Uh, well, you've been a doctor for 30 years. I've been in radio like 26 years. Yeah, since, since you were five years old, I think. But I think you've made more money in your 30 years in medicine than I've made in 27 in radio. That's probably true. I've also, I've also lost more money than you've probably ever made, too. Oh, really? Oh, that's I like that. That's reassuring. <laughs> yeah, lawyers are expensive. What can yeah. I tell you? And Randy Wang is here, who's our technical director. Hey, now. And we're all participating in this podcast because you do actually really, Dr. Stu, I'll, I'll talk in a moment about how you and I uh, you know, came to meet each other, which is kind of a funny story. I've t- you don't even remember it, I bet. Uh, well, I don't remember the exact details, but I do remember you were in the office. Right, I was in the office. Well, Dr. Stu has a purpose here, and he wants to help enlighten and change some minds. And we'll talk about lots of things here on Dr. Stu's podcast. Uh, one of the primary things we'll talk about, of course, uh, is pregnancy and and giving birth and vaginal birth or C-sections. And do you go to the hospital or do you use a midwife? Dr. Stu has dedicated in recent years essentially his entire career and his practice into trying to make the case to women that uh, you don't really have to go to the hospital to have a baby. Well, that's right, Brian. I mean, for, the hospitals are great for some, some pregnancies. Certainly, uh, they, are, they work miracles. The newborn intensive care units are, are, have done wonderful things to save premature babies or babies that are in trouble, and operative deliveries uh, have saved many lives and uh, you know, are a godsend compared to 100 years ago. However, we've gone, the pendulum has swung way too far, and we've had three generations or so of American women who've been sort of brainwashed or bullied into believing that their bodies will not work without the interventions of modern medicine and uh, medicalized birth in a hospital setting. In your view, Dr. Stu, what's the motivation that the medical community has to convince women that that is the case? Well, you're opening up a can of worms here, Brian, because I, I do But I believe- love it. you got so many cans of worms. Oh, there's so many cans of worms. I, I, my, my feeling is this. I think that ultimately these, all these things were started as, as what they thought was a, a good reason. It was for the safety. You know, safety is, is always used as an argument for uh, people in power to keep, keep themselves in power. It's, uh, it's the alibi of, of tyrants to declare that they know best and the welfare of humanity is their purveyance. But that's really, you know, it's gone too far. I think that these things started off as, as good ideas. I think that, that eventually it became, uh, you know, a business opportunity. It became uh, an industrial, uh, I, you know, the best way to say this is it became a, a uh A very... A big, a big business. A ve- right, a, and, a very, a very well... Uh, operated like a well-oiled machine, this business of delivering babies and bringing them into the world. But one of the interesting things, Dr. Stu, and this is Dr. Stu's podcast, Dr. Stuart Fishbein is here. I'm Brian Whitman. 
it seemed to me that about 15 years ago, a lot of women who I know started complaining. They said, oh, my gosh, they want you out of the hospital now. Like my mom used to say, oh, they kept me in the hospital for five days. And women would complain and say, you're in and out of that hospital in two days. It's like they don't care. And now we got guys like Dr. Stu and others, and you've got a great network of folks with whom you work and will meet them over time, who now say forget the hospital altogether. I got to say, as the regular average guy, if I were married, if I weren't married, if uh, if my wife or a girlfriend were pregnant, having my baby, I would want her. It's not a crazy thing, Dr. Stu. I'd want her pretty close to a hospital in case something went wrong. Don't you deal with that fear and concern every day? Yeah, we do deal with that fear and concern every day because the media uh, have made fear, uh, you know, one of the greatest American uh, inventions. And we we everything that we do every day in life okay is is based on uh benefits versus risks you know the risk of getting out of bed in the morning is riskier than staying in bed in the morning but the benefit is that you actually get up make a living eat food and do do those things so we and drive on the freeway we, and all these we, other we things. we face risks every day and it's good fear sometimes is a good thing because it helps us prioritize our life however when fear becomes the overwhelming driving force for something, it becomes paralyzing, this, and this is and this is what's happened, Brian. This is this is sort of when you when you say the question, shouldn't we be just in case? Yeah, you know, and the and the, I know that it's a silly analogy, but you know, every now and then somebody chokes on a piece of meat. Should we all eat our steak dinners in the emergency room of hospitals <laughs> just in case you might be choking? That's not a terrible yeah. idea. I'm well, it is. A, it is a terrible, it is idea. terrible idea. <laughs> and you know, and and I'm not saying that that birth is something that. It, or home birthing or out of hospital birthing is something that everyone should be involved with but it's, it's certainly an option that everyone should hear about so that women have the ability to make the choice and if they're not given true informed consent and they're not given information about their options then it's impossible to make an informed choice what is the scenario dr Stu is with us it's dr Stu's podcast we're with him i'm brian whitman dr Stu is a physician an author a speaker a father a blogger He's my friend. He's authored the book Fearless Pregnancy. He spoke about fear a moment ago. Uh, what is the setup? Like if a guy is listening, if a, if a chick is listening right now, a lady, she might be pregnant and she thinks she might be pregnant and she's thinking about, I have a very good friend with whom I work. She's going to give birth at home. What is the setup? Dr. Stu is there. There's a midwife there. Obviously, mom's there. I hope dad is there. Is that it? Are there four people in a living room or in a kiddie pool or something? That would be a simple way to put it. But yes, that's correct. And by the way, if you're having a home birth, you don't necessarily need a physician there. Okay, it's actually, uh, you know, sometimes having a physician at a birth is, to quote uh, one of my colleagues, Marzen Wagner, uh, is like having a pediatric neurosurgeon babysit your two-year-old. I mean, it's a little bit of overkill because normal birthing is not a medical problem. It is seen as a medical uh, condition because that's the way modern medicine has pervaded. But it's not a medical problem. It's a natural function. It's like breathing or digestion. Labor and growing a baby and laboring a baby and delivering a baby will happen whether you want it to or not. It's an involuntary thing. You can affect that and certainly fear and anxiety and thing will, will, will cause abnormalities to occur. But you don't necessarily need uh, to have a, uh, somebody as trained as an obstetrician at a normal vaginal birth. As a matter of fact, the mammalian model is such that the female of any male, mammal species is designed to give birth with who? No one. No one. Out and, in the woods. And where? All by herself. Right. This is how female mammals give birth. 
and, and it happens in every other mammalian species. But shouldn't except we, humans. Dr. Stu, Dr. Stu, shouldn't we as humans take advantage of the technology and the great advanced human brain to use most of or at least some of the resources that we have generated with our developed and advanced brains so that we're not giving birth like a penguin out in the wild? Well, penguin is no mammal, but just... just oh, sorry. Just so you know See, when you got a doctor here, you're always going to get corrected on stuff. Sorry, I'm sorry about that. No, but Brian. do correct... I know so little. It's, it'll amaze you. No, so what is... But, but, but shouldn't we be... I mean, if for no other reason than to put mom at ease, isn't it a great idea? You said not even have a physician at a home birth. Doesn't mom and her stress level, shouldn't that really be factored in, Dr. Stu? Well, let me answer that, Brian, by painting a picture so that we can go back to basics here. And if you look at how other mammals give birth in the wild, all right, the female goes off by herself to a quiet place where she can walk around if she wants to walk around. She's not strapped down to a fetal monitor. If she's hungry, she can eat. She's not listed as NPO, which means nothing by mouth. She can drink, she can stand up and pee, she can get on all fours, she can rock, she can, uh, she can, uh, She's not bothered by the other mammals coming around and constantly interrupting her. They're not, the cows are not sitting around mooing at her constantly and asking her if she's doing fine. They just essentially leave her alone. Right. Nurses aren't poking her with IVs. They're not being bothered. And, and certainly they're not restricted in their movements or their diet or what they want to do. And actually the movement is something that's really important in labor because it helps the female move the baby down the birth canal. The, baby, the mother feels the baby in her pelvis and so she adjusts her pelvis a certain way to help the baby's head slip this way or that way and when you're strapped down and well let me let me finish this thought before i get on to the next thought when a when a mammal is in labor in in the wild and and a predator approaches the mammal then senses fear what does fear do causes her to put out adrenaline what does adrenaline do it does a couple of things along the fight and flight uh, response right one of the things it does is it causes contractions to space out or stop which, of course, is biologically advantageous because sort of nature's you wouldn't way of, want to give birth when there's a, a mountain lion six feet away from you. Nature's, so, nature's way of guarding the baby. That's correct. So they, they get up and they run away. And only when they feel safe, Brian, do they actually go back into labor. That's how it's done in nature. And when the baby comes out in nature, it falls into the dirt. It's not a sterile field. Nobody's around to take the baby away from the mother, to whisk it over to the warmer, to immediately rush in and clamp the umbilical cord. Mothers and babies in nature are never separated. You are hearing Dr. Stu's podcast. This is his first podcast. Dr. Stu is a physician, an author, a speaker, a father, a blogger, and he really is trying to change minds here. He says birthing doesn't have to happen in a hospital, and uh, he is working all the time now dealing with uh, midwives and having babies, moms giving birth at home. If you have a question for Dr. Stu, ask Dr. Stu at gmail.com. DrStu'sPodcast.com, of course, is the website, and we're on iTunes, so rate us and leave us a nice review, and we're going to get you a Twitter feed. I know, Dr. Stu, you, you, you want to, you, you're like a, a technophobe. Do I really have to, Brian? Yeah, Randy, tell him he has to have a Twitter feed. You're going to want to get on Twitter. I mean, it's where, it's where people can connect with you instantly, and it's where the world is. It's where everyone my age, we're hanging out on Twitter all day. And you need a Facebook page. Can I, can I, can I hire my kids to Twitter for me? You can do that. Yeah. Is that a Twitterer? A Twitter, a, Twitter, a designated a Twitterer. Uh, you know they like is? to be called social media consultants. Oh, we like to be called social media. It's a cottage industry. But you know what people will love who listen to Dr. Stu's podcast, especially ladies who might be pregnant? They'll love the fact that Dr. Stu is answering personally and tweeting personally, like Oprah. So I don't have to tell him I have a ghost Twitterer then. Do yeah, I don't now? do that. We'll keep that on okay. the DL. 
Oprah tweets herself. You know that tweet is coming from Oprah. And you can upload pictures. It'll be exciting. And I've seen pictures, by the way, of some of your home births. I have to say this. Before we get to uh, the royal baby. Well, wait, wait. Before you get off track, I wanted to finish my thought. Yeah. Okay, because... Because I wanted to compare that you asked me about the hospital births and shouldn't the husband want them to go to the safest position, safest place possible. And so I wanted to finish. So that's the mammalian model. And when, you know, the babies are never separated from their mother. If you look at how modern American obstetrics treats the pregnant lady, from the moment they leave their house to drive to the hospital and labor, and I'm not even talking about the prenatal care and the frightening things that go on with prenatal care and the misinformation. But from the moment they leave their house to drive to the hospital to the moment they put the baby in the car seat to drive home, just about everything that happens in the, ho- in the hospital is counter to, the, to nature's design and what I just described. All right? You, 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 get in your, you leave your nest to go to an emergency room, which is a place of nervousness and fear. You're asked to sign consent forms that ask you questions about surgery and death. You're asked to pee in a cup, change into a hospital gown. You're taken up like you're having your appendix out, placed in a hospital bed. Fetal monitors are placed on your, bel- on your belly. An IV is placed in your thing. You're, you are not allowed to eat anything. You're constantly being interrupted. You've got your mother-in-law and your mother and your husband and your husband's sister and your Uncle Bob <laughs> sitting in chairs staring at you. If you need to go to the bathroom, you have to ask you have to ask permission. You can hear other women down the hallway or the nurses or doctors talking in the hallway bothering they're, they're interrupting you they're bothering you all these things make you nervous and so what happens is is your contractions just like the mammal in labor space out all right then what happens well then you start to need interventions because you're not moving fast enough because you you're on the clock you're on a timetable and so they start pitocin and epidurals and all these things and and sometimes those things are necessary and we'll get to talk about the advantages to being in a hospital for sure. certain situations and home birthing of course is not for everybody, you have to cherry pick your clients, but you you don't need all that stuff. And then they take the baby away from you. And this little baby who's never been away from its mother is exposed to hospital bacteria and is not exposed to the mother. And if the baby has any breathing problem whatsoever, they immediately rush it away down to the nursery and it's in a little glass box all by itself. But Dr. Stu, I have to ask you, for 30 years, you said you've been doing this for 30 years. I mean, you just articulated very eloquently almost an indictment of the practice of giving birth to babies at hospitals. But for decades, you participated in it. When did it click for you that having babies at home using a midwife might be a better way for a myriad of reasons? Well, it was a gradual process, Brian. You're right. I came out of residency program at Cedar sinai here in Los Angeles thinking that I knew everything and that I was uh, the sharpest uh, nail in the... Knife in the drawer. What's the metaphor? What's knife the metaphor? You were the sharpest, sharpest knife, knife in the, in the drawer. drawer. Thank you. Thank you. You know I, what? I, Your elevator went to the top floor. Well, it, it actually... I was Didn't. mistaken. I was mistaken. <laughs> okay. okay? Um, <laughs> I was a midget and I could only push it halfway. But, right. Got it. No, I thought, I thought that, um, that I knew everything. I really did. I thought that I knew... Uh, that this was the way to do medicine. And then I started backing midwives over the years, and I started to see a, a different model of care. And then I started reading the literature, and not just the medical literature, but I looked at the midwifery literature. I looked at literature from the Netherlands and from England and from other, in Australia and from other countries that were doing things differently than we were, where midwives did most of the care and doctors were consulted on when things went wrong. And they had much lower C-section rates and much lower rates of intervention, and their outcomes certainly weren't worse if anything, they were the same or better than our outcomes. It seems to me when we talk about uh, here on Dr. Stu's podcast, we talk about giving birth at home and home birthing. I have to say something is just like Brian is the guy here, not the doctor. It seems to me when I look at and meet people 
about my day who are giving birth at home. Dr. Stu, isn't it sort of a lifestyle? There's a culture thing going on. There's an earthy quality to people (laughs) who make this decision to give birth at home. There's kind of this, um, I don't know, kind of post-60s era hippie kind of vibe. I'm not trying to be mean, and I'm not making it up. Well, you can say that, uh, and it might be an economic thing in some ways because home birth doesn't generally take insurance, but the cost of an average home birth is less than half the cost of a hospital vaginal delivery and about a fifth of the cost of a cesarean section. To what extent do insurance companies get involved with home births? Well, we'll get to that because sure. I want to I get back to your question because you're saying it's a hippie sort of thing, but you know what? Prior to 1920, 99% of babies born in the United States were born at home. All right, and you talked about the royal birth yesterday, yeah, which is very exciting. Um, the Queen of England was born at home. Mm-hmm. Prince Charles, born at home. Yeah, the first potential royal that wasn't born at home was Prince William. Yeah, because by then uh, hospitals had sort of taken over. But I still believe that they had probably had a midwifery-based model. That I don't, and I, you know, no one knows the details of of Kate's birth, but we know she had a vaginal. She had birth. a vaginal birth. She was out of the hospital in less than twenty-four hours. Uh, she had a labor that was 10 and a half hours, and she delivered an over an eight-pound baby. Is it your opinion, Dr. And Stu? so she must have done brilliantly. Is it your opinion, Dr. Stu, that Kate Middleton could have done all of that at home with a midwife? Of course she could have. Of course she could have. And, you know, it would have been, it probably would have raised a huge outcry in the medical community and all of England for fearful, but it would have been a great thing because that's how nature was designed to do that. And you know what? It's not like she lives... In the middle of nowhere. I mean, she's literally your five to ten minutes. If you live in a big city, you're not far away from a hospital. And people tend to think that if you're in the hospital, that if there's a problem in the hospital, which might have been caused because you were in the hospital and ended up not eating for 20 hours and on Pitocin and all that, but if there's a problem in the hospital, that they think that there's an anesthesiologist and an operating room crew and your your obstetrician and your obstetrician's assistant are all sitting around waiting to for that emergency. That's not the case. Even in a hospital that that has residents which are in the house 24 hours a day, it still may take you 15 to 30 minutes to do an emergency procedure, which, of course, if you live 5, 10 minutes from a hospital, you can, you, you can do that anyway. Now, I'm not saying that it's as safe in a rare cases of emergency, but I'm saying emergencies, when you cherry-pick your home birth patients, don't occur like they do in a hospital. So, Dr. Stu, I have to ask you, Dr. Stu's podcast, on the heels of your comments about Kate Middleton and her birth and your assertion that she probably could, or your assertion that she could have done all of that at home. I have to ask you as I sit here, is your campaign to convince women and men, their, their partners, to give birth at home, is this, does this come from some sort of more conservative, naturalist earthy perspective or is it more of an a sense of anger that you have with your own in the medical industry that have sort of exploited birth for profit or it, is it both it well you you look at it, it's all those things but my, my feeling is is that the decision of how women women's how a woman gives birth belongs to the woman and in order for her to do that, the, uh, she has to be, have the information. And if you're given skewed information, you're going to come out with crappy choices. It's not fair to the woman to decide to be, have to make a choice based on giving one side of a story. I don't think that everyone who's given all the information is going to choose home birthing. But I think if you're given all the information of the risks and benefits of a home birth, 
and the risks and benefits of a hospital birth, you might actually believe that a home birth is actually safer for you. I was thinking about Kate Middleton and all the stress. I mean, you know, we all know ladies who've been pregnant and they're so stressed out and, you know, they live in a condo and their husband and a few relatives know they're pregnant. Can you imagine the world knows and you're on royal baby watch? I mean, stress of pregnant women needs to be monitored. I mean, you know better than anybody, Dr. Stu, uh, a patient like a Kate Middleton. Wow, can you imagine the stress that she felt and potentially that could have uh, a negative impact on the on the birthing? Well, it, 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 stress can sometimes delay labor and it can sometimes make the labor process longer. But I have to tell you, I can tell you the stress in that situation was not on Kate. It was probably on every single medical personnel in the hospital because, boy, if anything went wrong. You make one mistake. Oh, my God, you're toast. So, uh, right. yeah, I, my kudos off, my hats off to the uh, midwives and doctors who took care of her in, in England. And, and they were the ones probably that were dealing with a lot of stress. Plus, you know, the pressure coming from, you know, it sounds to me like the royal family was actually quite reasonable it doesn't sound like uh, the queen or the or prince charles or anybody was putting pressure on anybody they let her do her thing right and she did her and she went into labor it sounds spontaneous doesn't sound like she was induced i don't know we don't know the facts may come out they may never come out hopefully confidentiality says they never come out but i don't know if there's such a thing as confidentiality is it anymore. safe to induce labor sure it is if if the indications are are there the problem is now you're opening up another. There's another can of worms, but yeah. we're going to be going fishing. Look, later, on Doctor Stu's podcast, there's going to be a lot of worms crawling around here. The, the, this guy, Doctor Stu, I've known him forever, and I promise I'll tell you how we met uh, in a moment. He has got so many opinions. What makes you such a fascinating guy is not only your expertise, not only this campaign, obviously, uh, to home birth, but you are, for lack of a better term, I have to say, you're sort of a renegade in the medical community. You're sort of you're not the doctor's doctor you're not a doctor who's gonna you know cya for another doctor i don't think you're that guy you speak the truth and sometimes it's uncomfortable to listen to but it's always entertaining we've had hundreds of conversations and that's why we thought you know let's let other people hear the conversations and learn from the conversations and if you have a question for dr Stu, this is the first podcast Ask Dr. Stu at gmail.com. Ask Dr. Stu at gmail.com. Go to drstuspodcast.com. You might be there already. Check him out on iTunes. Leave a rating and uh, say something nice about, about Dr. Stu. But there's a lot going on here with you. There's yeah, a lot. And in future podcasts, Brian, we'll, we'll pick up some of the best questions on email we'll, and we'll discuss them uh, on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, it, it's yeah, very interesting. When you, say, when you say I'm not the, you know, uh, I'm sort of a renegade, the, the, the truth is is that that would be considered true. That is that is the truth. But it's I'm not a renegade because I, I want to be obstinate. I'm not a renegade because I want to be obtuse. I'm a renegade because I don't believe that what modern medicine is doing when it comes to obstetrics is the right thing. I, I think that it's the ethics are very questionable what's going on. And I think we want to do one of our, write it down, Brian, because I want to do a first year podcast purely on ethics cool. in obstetrics yeah, that's because cool. that's a that's a that's a half hour topic right there in and of itself but nobody changes things brian as you know look at you look you're the you're you're at you know in all of the shows that you're on i listen to you in the morning and the morning answer and stuff like that and you are always taking you know you're you're you're, you're getting picked on a lot because you're the uh, token liberal and ah. stuff like that you know i am sort of people you don't change people's minds without pissing people off correct and it just happens 
And you know, if, you, if you're pissing people off, you're probably doing something good. Now, Dr. Stu, what kind of success are you having as you wage this campaign to enlighten women that uh, having a baby doesn't necessarily have to happen at the hospital? As we sit here right here, 2013, on the heels of Kate Middleton, a very high-profile birth happening in a hospital, what percentage of births happen at home right now? Less than 1%. Well, you got a lot of work to do. Yeah, yeah, we do. It's actually, it actually, I think in the last decade has doubled, but uh, you know, twice a very small number. And some people are doing it in the bathtub, right? You got to break that Ajax out. Can you imagine the morning after well, your wife gives birth? You know, I have Ajax. to. I want to give out. I want to shout out for for Abby Epstein and Ricky Lake. They put out a documentary, uh, you know, six seven years ago called "The Business of Being Born," and they have a subsequent uh, video out now, a four part video, uh, "More Business of Being Born." And I have to tell you that that video has changed the face of obstetrics in the United States. It started the conversation, it, it restarted the conversation. Everything was sort of underground and quiet and midwives were you know, just trying to keep their heads low so they didn't get picked on. But when Ricky Lake came out with giving birth on camera, camera uh, and it started the conversation and then a lot of uh, more famous people, actresses, other people came forward and they had the births at home and you know they do carry weight as much as we think that you know people in hollywood should just sort of shut up and sing mm-hmm. as 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 is said as is said and shouted sometimes at them right but you know what sometimes they can do good by their activism this is a case where again we're not trying to convince people to have a home birth we are trying to convince people that hospital birthing sometimes isn't the best choice and certainly takes away, you know, we're not even talking about the psychological and emotional feelings of a woman. When, when you feel helpless as a woman laying there with an epidural, you can't feel anything and you end up having a vacuum or a cesarean delivery, it, it, it's disempowering. I was a cesarean uh, and I was the second. Well, that explains a lot. It, well, ah! you, know, it's, you know, my mom used to say it explains, Brian, your perfect round head because they lifted you out and there was no craning and you've got this perfect round pumpkin head. I don't know if that's a compliment, but when my mom had me in 1972, she had my brother Barry in 1969. He was a C-section because he was just too big. And back then, Dr. Stu, the rule was, and I know there's controversy now. That's changed. The rule was if the first kid's a C-section, the second third, fourth, forever, they're all C-sections after the first C-section. Right. Well, it used to be once a cesarean. Well, first it was once a cesarean, always a cesarean. And then the pendulum swung way over to that V-back or vaginal birth after cesarean was something that was extremely popular and actually was even mandated by insurance companies that women tried it. The problem was is we didn't have good parameters for that, and we tried it on women who probably shouldn't have had V-back. And then there was some, a lot of problems with that. So then the pendulum swung the other way, and there were some guidelines put out that made it more difficult for hospitals to avoid medical legal problems without having 24-hour anesthesia, and a lot of hospitals don't have that. And so the VBAC got banned or de facto banned or, or restricted in many hospitals, and now the pendulum has swung the, wrong, the other way. And what no one talks about when they talk about surgical birth is that with each subsequent surgical birth, the risk to the mother goes up greatly, and it's far greater than the risk to a mother having a home birth. So the best thing that women can do is have a vaginal birth, the first one, and avoid the cesarean section. If you have a question for Dr. Stu here on Dr. Stu's podcast, go to askdrstu at gmail.com. We're going to get the Twitter going. Dr. Stu is a physician, an author, a speaker, a father, a blogger. He's my friend. I'm the C-section. I got to let you know Randy Wang, our technical director, 
Oh, yeah. But first, breach. <laughs> I'm a breach birth. Terrific. Terrific. We're going to have a, again, that's a, another podcast topic. Which I'm the doctor. There. I'm one of the few doctors in Los Angeles that still does breach delivery. You showed me once a video of a breach birth. Well, there's one on one of my websites of a, of a breach birth. Now, when you see that butt coming at you, that's yeah. got to make you nervous, right? You got to go, uh-oh, here we go. No. Why would it make you nervous? Well, because you're a doctor and there's a baby involved. It make me nervous as heck. Why would it be any more nervous than when the head's coming first? Well, for some reason, it's got to make you nervous because normally the head comes first, see, right? See, see. Well, it does. 97% of the time, the head comes first. Right. So, so if something's happened that only happens 3% of the time, you're looking at Randy Wang's butt cheeks coming at you in the delivery room, I'd be scared to death. I'd be scared, too. Well, that, <laughs> well, that, is, that is a scary thought, and especially <laughs> the, the balls sometimes come out very, very bruised and large. Oh, they do? Have they, have they, have they shrunk down now, Randy? They've shrunk a little. Okay. Yeah, a, little. Just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I, I always heard I will that tell the you, reason you, uh, you, don't, you, know, you don't deliver the breech <laughs> is the umbilical cord could get wrapped around the neck. No, that's, a, that's another... It's whole, a myth. That's, in, order for, in order for a baby to choke on its umbilical cord, what does it have to be doing? What do you have to be doing in order to choke? Eating, swallowing. Breathing? Breathing. You're uh, not even breathing yet. Uh, on Brian, yes on Randy. Yeah, I you have to one. be breathing. Our baby's breathing in the uterus. Randy, you could be a doctor. All right. <laughs> they're, they're not breathing in the uterus. They're not using their... Tr- oh, there we go. <laughs> There's one for Randy. All right. We got sound We're gonna effects. We're going to have to work on that. We're no, we got sound, sound effects effect. and everything. Now, Dr. Stu... Don't wait, wait, wait. What's yeah, let me finish. Let me finish. Right. Don't keep cutting me off, Brian. Oh, sorry, Dr. So, Stu. You, you know, so you said the breach delivery is, is something that's really rare. I will tell you that, yes, it is really rare, but, but the... The medical evidence supports selected breech delivery is as safe as head-first delivery. The problem is, is that uh, young future physicians and medical students are not being taught breech anymore. And one of the analogies that I use is that breech, breeches are more common than people with red hair. Mm. And if you saw somebody walking down the street with red hair, you wouldn't call them abnormal just because they have red hair. They have may you, be abnormal. Have you seen Conan O'Brien? I know. I, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> but not because she ha- he has red hair. Right. So... It's more common than red hair, and it's something that, again, needs to be taught because ultimately what makes an obstetrician an obstetrician, what differs him from a taxi driver, is the fact that he's got skill. Besides being able to do a pap smear and a cesarean section, there's something in between. And a lot of modern-day teaching in residency programs are teaching medical students and residents to be brilliant academicians, but not technicians. And doing forceps and vacuums and breech deliveries and turning babies and external versions and all these things which don't have any meaning to some of our listeners but will eventually, Sure, we hope. Um, all those things are, are the art of doing what, what an obstetrician does and our, our training programs are falling down on the job. And another one of my goals along with informing the public and giving people more information and options is to help maybe bring some of these things back into residency training programs because otherwise they're going to die out. This is the first episode of a brand new podcast. It's called Dr. Stu's Podcast right here at drstewspodcast.com. Check them out on iTunes. Give them, what, five stars, Randy? Is that the most you can give them? Give them a great rating. If you have a question for Dr. Stu, he will answer them. Not well, we'll try to get to all of them. Ask Dr. Stu at gmail.com. Dr. Stuart Fishbein is a physician, an author, a speaker, a father, a blogger. He's my friend. And oh, yeah, very quickly, the way we met. So over a decade ago, my girlfriend at the time, who loves Dr. Fishbein, she said, Brian, you got to come with me to meet Dr. Fishbein. You can come in the office. So she's having something done. And, and she's up with a stirrups, Dr. Stu. Uh, that's what they're called. That's my girlfriend at the time. And here's Dr. Stu and he's doing his thing and it's very casual. And and she really wanted me to meet Dr. Stu. I didn't know Dr. Stu was a big talk radio listener. So he's, you're doing whatever you're doing, but I don't see it. I'm on the other side of Christina and you're on her side. 
you're doing your thing. Yes. And she says, oh, this is uh, my boyfriend, Brian Whitman. And you look up from the action zone and you go, the guy on the radio? And I said, yeah, yeah, that's me. And then you go back to the action zone, as I like to call it. And uh, you're doing your thing. And I'm going, okay, this is a little bit weird. And then you pop out of the action zone. You say, you know, you're a little too liberal for me with your politics. Then back into the action. Did I, did I ask you to do any voices? I think maybe I did like a George Bush impression for you at that point. Uh, I don't, was George Bush president then? Or? Yeah, or the first one maybe. Or no, it was Clinton. It might have been Clinton. Right? I did not have sexual relations. Yeah, well, I'm sure I did something for you. We became friends ever since, and we have a great time. And this is a special podcast. I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't believe in Dr. Stu and believe that this is an important issue for a lot of folks. So thanks for getting in here on the ground floor. Ask Dr. Stu at gmail.com if you have a question on anything ladies or men if you've got a, a, a pregnant partner or you're a lady who might be pregnant or you've got by the way this is not just about pregnancy we're going to go into obamacare we're going to go into all sorts of stuff here on dr stew's podcast great we'll, to see we'll you. probably talk a little bit about los angeles kings hockey too yeah you love those kings right yes i do go kings go go kings go all right it's dr stew's podcast